Greetings and welcome to Mid-South Moments. I'm flying solo this week, but I have some exciting guest hosts coming up in the next few weeks, plus some old favourites for you to enjoy, so please do not touch that dial, please don't touch it. I thought before the television review, I'd go back to the roots of this podcast, something I used to do many, many moons ago in a land before COVID, and have a look at some pop culture stuff from the heady days of the summer of 1985. So back then, in August 1985, top of the US box office, the week this show aired, which was the 18th of August 1985, was one of our regular co-hosts, friend of the show, friend of mine, Mark Dunderdale's all-time favourite films, which is Back to the Future. And I'm sorry to say, Mark, I've only ever seen that film once. Uh, shame on me. That was released in the States on July the 3rd, 1985, and held the top spot for three weekends before being briefly removed by National Lampoon's European Vacation, a film I've also not seen. Or I, I should say a film I've also seen. I have seen Back to the Future, so... Slight confusing there. However, it came back fighting hard. That was Back to the Future as it regained the top spot on the fifth weekend after its release and stayed there for another seven weeks before Invasion USA, a film not only I've not seen but I've never heard of, starring Chuck Norris, came out and took the number one position. So number one in the UK that week was Madonna's Into the Groove, a great little tune I would say. Not quite at the level of all my all-time favourite Madonna song, Like a Prayer, but certainly much better than some of her wretched later career material. There's nothing quite worse than uh, a, you know, a, a very successful artist coming on some sort of show or like an award show or something like that or a festival and all they want to do is play their new stuff rather than playing their old stuff. Just play the classics and get the hell out of there. Show, show. Number one in the States was Shout by Tears for Fears, an English band from Bath, a place I've never been to but I've heard good things about. I can't say good things about this song though, a bit monotone and very, very long, down in the dumps, just, you know, if you needed a bit of a pick-me-up, this is not the song for you. And this is certainly massively inferior to Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears, which I would say is an absolute tune and this, I'm afraid, in my humble opinion, was not. In news stories in August 1985, there was 15.4 centimetres rainfall in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which is allegedly a state record, and Michael Jackson purchased ATV Music for $47 million, which included the entire Beatles back catalogue. There were also a couple of notable people born in August 1985, including Davy Boy Smith Jr. and the, love, the lovely, easy for me to say, Anna Kendrick of Pitch Perfect fame. Big, big fan of her work. I'd say the original Pitch Perfect is by far the best of those films, but, you know... If it's a kind of rainy day, maybe a bit bit cold outside, whack them all on back to back. You can you could definitely go, uh, you know, you could definitely go more wrong than a pitch perfect marathon on a Sunday afternoon. So in the world of professional wrestling in August 1985, I have in front of me probably an ultra rare copy of the Wrestling Observer newsletter from September 1985. Uh, I'm just going to sort of dart around in this. Um, 
Dave reckons that the biggest item of news last week was that Titan Sports had taken over the Montreal Wrestling Office, obviously the famous place where Andre the Giant had all those sellouts and such like in the 70s. Also, for AWA fans, the AWA television show first debuted on ESPN on August the 27th. Dave was not all that kind about this show, and he said for those without cable or with enough common sense not to watch, the show was taped from Atlantic City's Tropicana Hotel and contained three long squash matches. Now, Dave at the start of this said that he thought the biggest news was that Titan Sports might be taken over the Montreal Wrestling Office. I would say that in the, what, one, two, three, four, fifth paragraph, there must be a bigger story than that. And apparently back then, in the 1985 version of internet message boards and Twitter, apparently there was a rumour going around every bulletin that had printed around that time that Terry Funk would be winning the WWF World Title from Hulk Hogan. And apparently Hulk would have some sort of knee surgery and then come back and regain it. And that's the rumour going around. Dave said he had no solid information either way, but he does not buy it. Dave Meltzer does not buy it, and he was proven correct. Uh, and basically, the reason he didn't buy it was that the Hulk Hogan cartoon was set to debut in September that year, um, and he didn't think that the big star was going to lose his world title at that point, given everything that was going on. Um, also, around the time, there's some interesting stuff about Jim Crockett in this in this uh, in this episode in this episode in this issue, where he's talking about he doesn't feel like the the crew of people that they have. Um, in their mitts at that time were kind of up to it to go national which is which is very interesting these old old observers are um you know not exactly very similar to um what you get today though Dave's writing does does tend to be a bit of a chain of consciousness uh, but there's some some really interesting tidbits in here alas in this episode in this issue I keep saying episode why is it episode issue there's not a single word about mid-south wrestling not a single sentence which is pretty disappointing considering I bought two years worth of back issues just to cover mid-south and on the subject of mid-south why don't we go in to the August the 18th 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Jim Ross and Joel Watts are here and after a normal rundown of this week's card we got a recap of what had happened in the Superdome the previous weekend so no mention of the breaking news bulletin that we got on last week's episode. They first showed extended highlights of the Watson Duggan versus Kamala and Zambu Express tag team match and they had Ross and Joel commentating over the top. And there seemed to be a two-camera setup for this match, so I'm wondering if ultimately this was taped and perhaps marketed for sale on VHS. Akbar went after Watts with fire here, and this is a wild brawl with some of the in-ring work, perhaps a little bit questionable quality-wise, but crowd was solidly into this. Um, no more than the finish itself in terms of slightly odd work here when a masked man came in and hit Watts with a really weak kick, and then Kamala splashed and pinned him. Ross back at the deck desk said it was Watts' 20, sorry, Mid-South 25th Superdome event and it was the first time that Watts had ever lost. We then cut to Akbar standing alongside the man who, the master man who cost Watts the match and Akbar said that Watts was obsessed with him and he introduced the master man as El Casario from Puerto Rico who was a member of an anti-American group there. Akbar said it was a battle for survival now and that Watts was gone, he was turning his attention to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I must be honest, I didn't really like this all that much, um, and it seemed a little bit directionless and a tiny bit confusing for Akbar, not one of his better promos, certainly. Joel said that the situation looked grim for Duggan, in that he would have to take on Akbar's army by himself. Joel said that there was some good news that had come from the Superdome, and we cut to highlights of the Dick Murdoch versus Nightmare North American title match. We already saw this last week in terms of the finish, and we knew there was a new champion, but Murdoch had been busted open. Uh, we didn't get a lot more of this than we did last week with Murdoch winning via Brainbuster, which did get a great ovation from the crowd. 
Ross said that Captain, Captain Redneck was standing proud for America and we cut to Oliver Humperdinck who complained that Humongous wasn't allowed to stay at ringside with him as they told him that the Nightmare would lose the title if Humongous was out there. He said Murdoch committed a dirty deed by putting his hands on him and he said they would get their revenge. I thought this was okay stuff from Humperdinck again but not finest promo work. Ross said that after the break, Akbar's newest find, El Casario, would be there in action and he would be going up against Mark Reagan. And I was surprised when Googled that El Casario was actually the future WWF wrestler Savio Vega. And Savio had actually turned 21 years old on the day of the Superdome show. So that must have been quite the birthday for him. I'd imagine making your Mid-South debut at the Superdome was slightly better than my 21st birthday in the Blue Orchid Croydon. Akbar was out and he said we are going to get a demonstration of what martial arts expert Casario could do. They had two referees hold up a block of wood and Casario told the crowd to be quiet. There was total concentration needed for this. He did a side kick through the wood before Akbar produced another one for the referees to hold and Casario did a marginally more impressive jumping side kick to break the second plank. I say jumping, it wasn't a particularly high jump, to be fair. Uh, but better than the Australian athlete in the Olympics recently, he was going for the first place in the high jump and managed to just basically fall back first into the bar, which was probably my Olympics highlight. Casario looked much better in the match himself and nearly took Reagan's head off with a great-looking kick early on. He finished him off in 122 with a big side kick to the face. I didn't think this was the total squash um, that that perhaps uh, El Casario should have got here, as Reagan did get some offense in. Um, but the match was a much better showcase for the new guy than the martial arts demonstration pre-match. Back from break, Ross threw to more highlights in the Superdome, this time the tag team match. For the tag team titles with Jake Roberts and the Barbarian challenging Ted DiBiase and Steve Williams. We talked about this last week with ultimately Bob Sweeten costing Jake and the Barbarian the titles. Joel said he's sure he's not alone in thinking this was the, the basically there was collusion between the champions and the special guest referee who was Bob Sweeten. Um, we then threw to DiBiase announcing his departure to Japan for 30 days and saying that Roberts had forced a tag team title match and that they wouldn't forfeit the belts. Instead, he's given Bob Sweeten power attorney to stand in for him in tag team title matches. So while I was watching this segment of the show, I looked up um, Sweeten to see how old he was because it felt to me like the Mid-South youth movement was well and truly over and the answer was 45. And it was in this search that I discovered some pretty rank, I think that's an understatement, things about this guy. So I think, unfortunately, he might be getting the matchmaker treatment uh, going forward and the less said about him, the better. Next up, we had the Nightmare versus Al Perez, uh, which was an interesting choice given Perez's recent push. Joel said he could hear the fans saying, you ain't got no belt, which is a double negative, so he really should have corrected them on their grammar. I'd have liked to seen Joel Watts walking around to ringside fans just saying, come on, guys, if you're saying you ain't got no belt, he has got a belt. Come on, English, let's think about it. Humperdinck handed the nightmare something at the three-minute mark, which he put in his mask. He headbutted Perez, busted him open, and rained down punches before Perez fought back. Perez hit the ropes and Humperdinck tripped him in four minutes for the DQ. And this continued after the bell with a nightmare going for the splash, but missing and Perez was standing tall at the end. So clearly his push continues. Um, I like Perez and I actually like the match. I didn't like the finish particularly, but I'm really glad that Perez didn't lose. So hopefully he'll continue his upward momentum. Uh, Humongous versus Pat Rose next. Humongous got his war machine entrance and then predictably destroyed Pat Rose in under a minute, finishing him off with a million dollar dream. Uh, and I like the push of Humongous so far. I'm enjoying this character. Um, at this point, I was sat there sort of watching the show and I thought to myself, I haven't seen Terry Taylor for a little bit of time. And I wonder what he was up to. So I headed on over to Cage Match and I devastatingly realised that Mr. Taylor's time in Mid-South was no more. 
He made his debut for Jim Crockett on TBS on July the 7th, 1985 and never appeared on Mid-South Television again. And I was genuinely upset at this. Um, at this point, it had to be really hard for Watts with both the WWF and Crockett going national, basically just hoovering up talent. And I think that is very much reflected in, you know, who's being pushed at this time and perhaps a slight, um, you know, a slight downswing in quality, I think is, is probably fair to say. And I'm really interested in talking to, to Terry and um, Phil in the upcoming weeks about what their memories were of this particular time and what they think about this television show at this because this is um it was a little bit like this before christmas 80 going into the new year 85 where i felt that the quality was was a bit on the, on the downswing and this is certainly a transitional time i mean even the and this let's let's remember this this show was voted by the wrestling observer readers in 1985 as a television show of the year so i'm sure it was an uptick but even if you if you picked a random raw from 1998 you'd, you'd have some absolute stinkers in there and this wasn't a stinker but it just wasn't you know wasn't quite at the level as um as this show had been previously uh the last bout of the week had eddie gilbert going up against Brody chase gilbert had some new long red tights on with some gold pattern on the front and side which looked pretty good Gilbert showed some great fire with forearms and punches and finished off Mr. Chase in 135 with a flying knee off the second rope. Uh, and this was fine for what it was. Ross then said they were going to a premiere video by Joel Watts and the team of the Barbarian and Jake Roberts. And this was to, this was set to lay it down by Rat. And Rat was spelled R-A-T-T. So an extra T there for Rat. Disappointingly, this was just really in ring action. We had the Barbarian jumping up and down like towards Tito Ortiz did a couple of decades later. More in ring action, close up angry facials, few great DDTs from Jake, but no out of the ring stuff. I wanted to see these guys in a nightclub or out for dinner. I want to know what the Barbarian wants to have for dinner. Like, tell me what he wants for starter, main course. I'm not as interested about dessert, but I'd like to hear what he has for dessert as well. And I just thought, Joel, you've let yourself down here. Um, the song itself was okay, I thought, and it peaked at number 40 in the Billboard Hot, Billboard Hot 100 and uh, got to number 77. That's the position that everyone wants in the UK chart. Um, yeah, sorry, Joel, but this is a bit disappointing. Um, and as I just touched on a few minutes ago, this was a kind of a weird old show. Um, this promotion is definitely in transition, and it's just not as easy a watch as it has been previously. Um, and for my own tastes, there aren't so many guys on this show at the moment that I'm looking forward to seeing uh, and more that I'm kind of not really massively enthralled by. Um, and the Scandal Akbar angle particularly feels a little bit overplayed at this point. Um, with the Humperdinck stable happening at the same time, that's a little bit grating having kind of two sides that are similar, albeit I have enjoyed Humongous so far. And um, that's it for this week. A bit of a bit of a departure from normal, but I hope you've enjoyed a little bit of a look back on uh, pop culture in August 1985 and a bit of a whistle stop review of the August 18th, 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. We'll be back with new guest hosts over the coming weeks. And always, if you've never guest hosted the show and you've always been a listener, reach out to me on Twitter because I'd love to have you on. I'm always looking for new guest hosts. Come on, do an episode, do a couple of episodes if you'd like. It'd be great to, to speak to you about your memories of Mid-South. You don't have to have grown up on this promotion. You can just be a fan of it and have watched it. Or you might have never really watched Mid-South before, but you just fancy appearing on a podcast. Do reach out to me at MidMoments on Twitter. Thank you for your continued support and we'll speak to you all again very, very soon. Yeah, this is Eric Watts. And for all you phenomenal wrestling fans and fans of this podcast, please do me a favor. If you're looking at uh, more information about Mid-South Sports, Power Pro Wrestling, Universal Wrestling, go to universalwrestling.com and check out that website. It's a must-see.